If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Really excited to be back with you. I don't know. It's been a month (laughs) with school and everything, you know, online here. It's just, I feel like we're going through a lot of things, Um, but it's always just really special to be able to do this podcast and to share with you the people that I think are really making a difference um, and the stories that I think really matter in, in our culture. And so I'm just thankful that people keep listening. And so thanks for gathering with us today. And we have a really um, special guest again today. It's Shell Kistler. She, um, I actually met Shell a few years ago and was really excited about what she was doing in my town of Columbus, Ohio. Um, Shell, welcome to the One Voice podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Shell, you are the founder of The Table, Table Gatherings here in Columbus. Can you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about that from your own words? Yeah. The Table, um, well, our mission is to connect women for the sake of knowing God and then sharing God. And we do that through um, serving and loving others. It's as simple as that. So um, we'll bring people to the table. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a past, has brokenness in their lives. Um, And so we want to just help people kind of get to that place where they allow God into that space so that he can tell them and show them who who he is in the middle of all of their stuff and who they are to him. And then from that springs our purpose, you know, what we're, what we're here for and, and where we go from there. So that's kind of our mission. Yeah. And I actually was able to attend one of the table gatherings years ago. Um, one of my dear friends, the late Jennifer Kempton from Survivors Inc. was a speaker. And um, it was just one of the most beautiful events I've been to. It was so thought out and just the tables were beautifully decorated. And what I love about what you've done um, in just preparing a place for women to gather and connect and get to know one another um, over a meal, you know, and just this beautiful setting. But it's like women who, you know, maybe have never been to a table like that or felt welcome. And to know that there was a seat for them, I feel like was such a symbolic moment for them and for me um, to be able to connect and share stories there and, and hear inspiring speakers, just a really, really um, just a neat experience. Yeah. Thanks. That's one of our, our goals is to provide or to bring dignity and honor to people who oftentimes the world does not give dignity and honor to, mm. and everybody deserves a seat at the table. Everybody deserves to be loved um, and cherished and treated that way. And so that's what we, what's what we tend to do. And we do it through, you know, at some of the aesthetics, but just the way we treat them and, you know, the, the, the look and the feel helps you to feel like you're in the presence of, of something important and special and, 
So we do not shy away from it making it look beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, right. And you just did that this past week, correct? Like you were a part of a program that we actually help support quite a bit called the Catch Program here in uh, in Columbus. And they were graduating two survivors of human trafficking. And can you tell us a little bit about what you were able to provide for that graduation, especially with it being virtual this year? Right, Um, exactly. Yeah, they felt like they were kind of getting the short end of the stick with the COVID and they could have a lot less people. So our goal was to come in and just try to make them feel as, as grand as it would have been if they had had it where they wanted to have it. Super fun. Like we just got to kind of sit down with their team and say, what do you want? Um, and how can we make this super special? And so we brought the beauty and hopefully we brought some hospitality to, to the table as well. And mm-hmm. they uh, came in and we had to do it different because of COVID, but um Everybody, I know, I know, because I heard their their comments and stuff. Felt like it was just super special. So that's our that, that just that's I'm super excited about. That just makes me happy. <laughs> well, absolutely. I think you know you you just you want to make people feel known and to feel accepted and to feel lovely, and that's what you've done. And so I, I know a big part of your ministry and the organization that you're running is about investing in others. And I've heard you say before that it starts with investing in yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Could you talk, talk a little bit about, you know, what, what that looks like? Because I feel like what I know of you is you are investing in others all the time. Like, what does it look like to start by investing in yourself? Like, what does that look like even for you personally? Well, so yeah, this is kind of how I got here was I don't have, if people look at me and I know you can't see me on a, on a podcast, but mm-hmm. if people look at me, they would look and they would make a lot of assumptions, you know, mm-hmm. that probably I look like I've got things together. Mm-hmm. If you look at my family, I look like I have the, you know, really great little family and on the outside, I allowed people to believe that that was, that that was the truth, that it was as perfect as it looked. It was as good and pretty as it looked, but it wasn't. And um, so anyway, when I was a little kid, I was abused. I was sexually abused at a very young age. And um, you don't know what to do with that. Like you don't even realize, right? And so you just begin to believe these things about yourself, right. um, which was I'm disgusting. I'm dirty. I'm not worth anything. Um, and I don't have the right to have boundaries. I don't have the right to say that that's not okay or that mm. I don't like that. Mm. And so, um, but, but internally, you know, you don't really like it. And so you do start to do some things that aren't super productive for you because, uh, because that's the way you feel about yourself. And you really despise the body that has created or caused the abuse. Mm, right. And that was my framework from it was I was told from my abuser it's you're a pretty little girl and therefore this is what happens. And so it was my fault. It was my body's fault that this happened. Mm. And um, so I hated my body and I just wanted to tear it up. Mm. And so as a little kid, and I was about eight years old when I started eating disorder behaviors where I just would try to starve myself because I despised the, my body. And um, that, that took root and continued on and the abuse continued different ways because you don't have boundaries. And so you allow anybody, you know, you just don't realize that you can say no or that that's not acceptable or whatever. And so it just continued in different ways and, and shapes. But by the time I was in my 20s, um, I got married and that eating disorder had really, really taken its toll. It'd been a long time at that point. Most 
it is, I don't know how it lasted as long as it did, but it did. And, and my body was beginning to fail. So um, I was getting very sick. There were often times where I couldn't get up pretty much every night when I went to bed. I wasn't sure if I was making up the next morning. And I, I would put some grapes on my nightstand because I'd wake up in the middle of the night with just, just horrible pain in my stomach just from starvation. And um, I would take a couple of grapes and it would allow me to get back to sleep. But that's kind of where I was living. Um, was kind of on that edge. And so eventually that tips and your body can't do that anymore. The grape does not satisfy. And so um, I ended up in the hospital two times. And the second time they said, um, they came in and said, listen, you know, here's what, here's what this is. We believe you have an eating disorder and there's nothing we can do. We can't give you um, a pill and we can't do a surgery that will solve this. You're going to have to decide to do this. And we hope that you do, because if you don't, you're going to be back in here in six months, two months, we don't know, um, with a heart attack, whether it kills you or not, we don't know. And that was a real sobering moment for me in that yeah. hospital room that, oh my goodness, my fear that I have, which is, I know that my body's not right. I know that I'm not feeling right, is actually going to come true, like that something's going to happen. And that was really scary. And I guess I was enough afraid that I was willing to, to at least consider it, that maybe there was a problem. And so um, I went to counseling and, and at first I was like, I'm just going to go and listen and I, cause I'm sure they're, they don't know what they're talking about and I'll be back with heart disease in the hospital. Right. And so I went and she said, give me three weeks and then I'll give you a diagnosis. And at the end of the three weeks, I went back expecting I was done. And she said, um, I've been solely dealing with eating disorder patients for the last 15 years and you're the worst case I've ever seen. And I was wow. like, what? <laughs> this can't be. But yet inside myself in my gut, because your gut knows, it knew that there was some truth to what she was saying. And so then the question was, did I have what it takes to get through it? Could I actually get to the other side? And she said to me along the way, life doesn't have to look like this. And I thought to myself, maybe that's true. And at first I didn't have belief in that statement. Life doesn't have to look like this. I wasn't sure I believed it. And then as we kind of went along, I began to have some hope that maybe she was right, that maybe my life didn't have to look like this. Maybe there was another side uh, where I didn't feel the way I felt about myself. And there was, there was something good for me in reality. And, and so that, that facade that I had created that made me look a certain way, uh, maybe part of that could come true and I could be happy and healthy and whole and joyful um, without, you know, some of the things that I was doing. And so I had hope and I clung to that hope. And then the second part was now you do whatever it takes to get to the other side. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of work. And it's a, it's a choice that you have to make to say, all right, I have hope. I believe that there is another side. I do believe life doesn't have to look like this. Now, what is it going to take for me to get there? And as soon as I read that, it was on a sheet of paper that that particular line um, was on a paper of the 10 things one needs to do to recover um, and I think number one was you do whatever it takes. And it, yeah. as soon as I read it, I knew what it meant. I knew it meant I could not continue to be married to the person I was married to. I had, I had gotten married early um, mm -hmm. in the eating disorder with um, to somebody who wanted to be married to somebody with an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. They wanted somebody who was sick and they were not interested in me getting healthy. Mm -hmm. And so it meant me walking away, which was really hard to do because um, I really felt shame. I felt like I'd lost. I had not succeeded. 
Um, mm-hmm. The church that I had attended when I was a young kid said divorce was absolutely wrong. No reason ever should you ever get divorced. Yeah. And um, so there was a lot of hot hangups for me there. Um, yeah. And so I finally did. I just, I finally left, but uh, it ended up, I, it was not easy and it was not pretty. I lost everything. I lost mm-hmm. every dollar I had. I lost everything I had. I lost wow. every friend I had because the church that we were in was, did not agree with what I was doing. And so they blamed it on the eating disorder and that I had gone off the rails and I was, you know, whatever. Like how much more shame did you need? Right. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Right. The church is good at putting shame on people when they're depths and yeah. Shame on top of shame on top of shame. So you had to really be courageous to take some steps for yourself. Right. Exactly. Mm. To, to say, okay, this is the right thing and I'm going to do it whether everybody dislikes me for it or not, I'm going to do it. Mm. Mm. I was living in an old folks home pretty much on the floor. <clears throat> I had no furniture, no money. And um, I turned to God and I said, if this is where you get me following you, then I, I'm pretty sure I can do better because mm. this is horrible. This is rock bottom and this is no good. So I turned and said, I'm done with you. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I'm going to get better. And so I did. I did continue to get better and, and you know, live, get into a, a healthy, um, healthy body, a healthy mindset. Um, and so then I met this guy. He was really awesome. He's the coolest dude I've ever met in my life. And I fell in love. So we decided to move to the same city. We got pregnant. And I'm like, well, you know what? Huh? We should probably get married. And so we did. And that was the whole thing. And then uh, we have this baby and we've never spoken about God together in our lives. That was just not a part of our relationship at all. And we have this baby and we're looking at her and we're like, you know, I know that we've never discussed this, but I believe in God and I have this little tiny mustard seed of faith. And I really want to raise this kid in a church, but I wouldn't do it without him. And I don't think he would have done it without me, but we said it at the same time. And we're like, well, aren't we two lucky people that we both believed in God and just never spoke about it. So I don't believe that that was luck, but we'll call it that <laughs> we'll yeah. call it at the time. So we went, started going back to church and I would stand in the back of the church and I couldn't pray. I couldn't worship. I couldn't sing, but I could listen. And I said to God, I have some questions because I don't know who you are in the middle of all this, but I believe that you exist and I can't ignore that. So can you show up and show me where you were? And then that set me on a journey of, of figuring out who he was in the middle of my crap. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so he gave me beautiful answers um, to the questions that I had had. And um, we'll start with the abuse. I didn't understand where he was. And he gave me a verse that, you know, Jesus wept. He wept for this kind of stuff. He wept for me. And, and actually it's funny because in that particular one, I, he gave me a, he gave me a vision at the beginning. So I understood where the abuse had started and I had a visionist room. This was way back when I was in therapy, this vision is this room and I know what's going on. I know, you know, who's where and what's going on. And so um, this time he gives me the vision again, only there's this chair that's always been in the corner. And this time Jesus is on the back of the chair and his knees are pulled up to his chest and he's just sobbing. And in that moment, when God gave me that vision in my head again, it was like, I knew Jesus was sobbing for me because he was sorry that I had to go through that, that he has human emotions over the stuff that we have to bear because sin exists in this world and it stinks and he hates it. But he also was crying because he was angry that that existed too. And he didn't want it. 
And so, I mean, for somebody who's been through trauma and has had abuse um, to put on them, this was like freedom that that wasn't of God. You know, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So he's the safest place I can be. Um, and he hates it as much as I hated it. And he had tears. He wept tears over it. Like I wept tears for years over trying to get over it. And so it was just a, it was just this, I don't know, just this balm that just a healing balm that just flooded over me over that one. Uh, because I needed that. I needed to know that he wasn't absent um, and that he cared. And then the divorce, he heals the brokenhearted. God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Um, he, 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 will, he will cure that. He will take care of your brokenness, your hurt. The rock bottom, like when I hit rock bottom, I didn't understand that part. And he came and said, well, um, Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says, everyone who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built a house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall. And I realized I had built my house on the sand when I was a kid from lies and from deceit from, you know, Satan that, hey, this is who you are. And I built on those truths and I tried to build this beautiful structure that would stand and make everyone think that it was solid. And it wasn't. And the winds, the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and that house crashed. Mm -hmm. And so he, he showed me this picture of this all had to come down because we needed to build on a solid rock. You'd built it on some lies and abuse, frankly. And so we needed to build on something solid. And he gave me that cornerstone, the sure foundation um, that, that is Jesus Christ. And so we're going to build on this and this, this will withstand. And so that was awesome. Cause I was like, yeah. who wants their life to implode? But <laughs> yeah, no one signs up for that. Yeah. But thank you Lord for doing it. So yeah. Once you're through it though, and you see, you know, what can come from blowing it up and starting fresh, then that's amazing to be able to say it was worth it. Yeah. And then he never left me. He was with me. I mean, my, my husband is an amazing man. I'm so thankful. I have the life that I probably had dreamed of and they gave me five kids. I, I wasn't supposed to have one. They had told me in the hospital, you were, you need to prepare yourself that you probably won't be able to have children because of what I'd done to my body. And God gave me five and seven years. They just kept coming. We couldn't stop it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we're all coming from. Um, and so we are, we are thankful about that. Mm. But I got to the end of those questions. And this is really the answer to your question. Yeah. But we got to the end of those. And I just, I mean, what else can you say when right. God shows up like that in your mm. stuff and shows you how he's been with you and how everything he did, good and bad, was used for good? Even the bad stuff, like even the, my life imploding, it was used for good. And so, um, so that I could start a refresh. And so I, all I, my only natural response was to say, then it's yours. Mm -hmm. My life is yours. My story is yours. Take it and do what you want with it. 
And so um, he gave me a dream. It was several months after, well, probably even a year or so after I had told him, it's yours, do what you want. He gave me a dream and said, I want you to bring women to the table mm-hmm. to know me and to make me known by serving and loving others. So bring them to the table and allow them, encourage them to go through the same process. Allow them and show them how to be vulnerable with God. Let me open up all those closets that I've kept to myself because I didn't know that God wanted it. I didn't know he was in that part. I didn't know that he, you know, had feelings and emotions over this stuff and that he has been with me all along working for my good and I couldn't see it. And so allow, just encourage them to open those doors and ask God to come in to that closet. And show me where you've been and what you've been doing. Because when he does and you really like open it all up to God, he shows up in ways you would never have expected. And it's so much more beautiful than you can ever, ever think would be. Um, There's, there's nothing like it. And so that was, that's the purpose of the table. And I know that that's God's purpose for my life is just to, to, to share this, to share my story, to share how he does what he does. Um, Yeah. That all the promises in the Bible are true and they're for you and your life too. That's so inspiring and amazing to just, you know, hear you kind of go from the beginning to now and just, you know, the turn of events and the decisions you make. I really love what you talk about when you say, you know, you thought you saw, you know, maybe my life doesn't have to look like this. And like, that's what it is. It's like, it's not just God rescues us. And like, he does all this work. Like we have to work with him and we have to also make those decisions to make some really hard choices. And I think so often as women, we do get caught up in, you know, especially if we have trauma in our life of making the outside look beautiful, just to kind of cover up the pain on the inside and the truth of what's going on inside the home. Right. And you know, we work so hard at that rather than maybe working on the fact that maybe it doesn't have to look like this. Maybe if I take this step with God, you know, Mm -hmm. that it it could be a step in the right direction for me and it could be empowering for me. And if I take that step, what's the next step going to look like for me? And, you know, it's these little steps, these little choices that we do have to make. And we don't have to just fall in line with what, you know, our family tells us is the right way to find happiness or, you know, or the way that the church has always kind of said, don't do this, don't do that. But like, what if I did this? And what if God's in this, you know, how cool it is to be able to walk with him and to pave new roads um, for ourselves. And then eventually for other women and all the women that you've made an impact on um, these last few years. So, so cool. Yeah. As I'm thinking about healing and something I talk about a lot is healing as a lifelong journey and just knowing like you've gone through a lot, you know, all the things that you've shared and the effects of abuse that has on a life. And we do carry them with us. Are there things that you think about now um, that you'd be willing to share? You know, I know Mm -hmm. some things just don't feel like going there, but if you'd be vulnerable enough to say like, what does it look like to you to say that healing is a lifelong journey? What are the things that maybe you find, you know, roadblocks along the way or, or um, even things you have to decide for yourself to keep moving on your healing? Are there, are there certain things that pop up to you when you hear that? Oh, absolutely. I'm glad that you bring that up because you know, it's something that most of us don't talk about. And I think a lot of people think when you get to the other side of therapy, then you're done. And now you're just like everybody else. <laughs> right. And you're not. Just one of the biggest lies we will have to deal with. That's, That's so true. Right. Yeah. And you're, you're not and you won't be. 
and and that's okay because your stuff is your stuff yes. and 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 everybody else looks like they don't got stuff but trust me they have stuff and so we have to kind of <laughs> yeah. remember that 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 they have stuff mm-hmm. and um and so they're no they're no different than me they may not want to say it but yeah. they're no different from me. And so I think for me, I have to remind myself that sometimes walk through when I get in these little groups of women, you know, having dinner together or whatever. And I, I, I sometimes I just want to throw up at the conversation. Like, I mean, there's, there's more important things in life than this that I have to remind myself that a lot of people wear a lot of masks and they put a lot of boundaries and, you know, borders up around themselves to make you think something, but just get, just, just blow past it. It's not right. truth. It's just not. So that's one of the first things. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is to realize, you know what? I'll never fully be over everything. You don't graduate from, from therapy and you're like, okay, I'm solid now. Like mm-hmm. you never will. It's a constant battle because you've got, you know, this lies in your head that are hard to overcome. And so you've got to get yourself like a, 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 little, a little thing that you can read regularly to remind yourself of who you, want, who you are and who you want to be because you'll have to keep fighting for it. It gets easier. I will say that it does get easier, but you're going to always have your hangups, whatever they are. For me, if I get around somebody who's acting all perfect um, and they look like they have a perfect life, it takes me down and yeah. I will get really like self-destructive over. I may stop eating that. That's the worst case scenario, but okay. best case scenario, I still go home and say, why can't you be like that? Why aren't you like that? Why isn't your life as good as that is? Mm-hmm. And in fact, I was at a, 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 a party a couple, well, maybe it was a year ago. And uh, there was all these women sitting around the table. And this one woman was just talking all about how her her daughter is so awesome and she's dating this guy and it's so perfect and yada, yada, yada. And, and I'm like, I, at first, I'm, it started to make my stomach sick because yeah. that's kind of what happened. And then I was like, wait, you know what? That's just not true. Like, I mean, some of it might be, but not all of it is because surely that girl has problems and surely uh-huh. that mom has problems. Surely they're not perfect. Right. It was just making me feel real bad. And so, you know what I did is I reached for my purse because I know my phone's in it. And I pulled it out and looked like that I needed to, to respond to something. <laughs> and then... And then I saw that one of my kids had texted me and they were complaining about something that something was going on at home and they needed my help, you know, with it. But, you know, it was one of those things that you'd be most, most of the time, if you're having a good time, you just throw it back in your purse and ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. This time I was like, oh, I got to go. I got to go. And I just totally used it as an excuse to get up and go because there are times when it's just not healthy. It's not healthy for you to stay there. It's not healthy for you to listen to it, to be a part of it. If it's dragging you down and it's not going to take you any place good in your mind, then get out, just mm. take off, go someplace mm-hmm. where you're going to feel good. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's yep. a solid, that's a solid piece of advice. I'm going to tell myself that every single day. It's mm. okay. It's okay to dump a relationship uh, uh, with a friend mm-hmm. or, you mm-hmm. know, whatever. And it's okay to dump a group that you need to walk away from if it helps you be the person that you want to be. That's a word for somebody. I know that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just recognizing when, you know, you're, you're going in a path of just, it's toxic for your thinking, you know, to be around this constant kind of conversation, you know, I think it's important to have, you know, your real friends, like code word, like text the code word be like that. Call me, you call me and pretend you have an emergency. I got to get out of here. (laughs) Like Your kids knew they just sensed it. That's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. 
let me address community for just a second. So yeah. community is really important. And I think we just, I just said, you know, if it's bad, you get out. But you also need to dig for the good and you need to go find people that are going to support you and love you the way you need to be loved and um, that you can be honest with and vulnerable with. Um, but that sometimes those aren't easy to come by. And sometimes you'll go through a couple different uh, versions to, or a couple different people to kind of get the right, the right yeah. team. Yeah. But they're really important because we can't do this on our own and we need people that we can be honest with that don't judge us. Um, but you know, we'll, will right. help us be who we want to be. And, and I will say I've, I've had to do that. There've been times in my life where I've pulled out the phone and I've gone through looking for who can I call, who can I ask to mentor me or just be a good friend to me. And so I've handpicked those people myself. Um, mm. and there have been times when, you know, that person is good for a season and then, then that season is over and you need to move on and that's okay too. And so there's just freedom in you need support. You get to pick the support, pick the ones that work for you and that feel good. And then when it isn't that anymore, it's okay to move on. That doesn't mean that you reject them or that you, you know, don't like them anymore, but there's different seasons for different things. Right. And, um, but that, but having that, that network or that community for yourself is essential for mm -hmm. you. Otherwise it's just you that's doing all the work yeah. and that's going to be very difficult to sustain. Mm -hmm. Um, and so while community can be painful, it's also essential. And so it's riding that balance of this. I have to have this and it needs to be good and work for me now. And when it doesn't, you shift and you, and, and, and you give yourself grace that that wasn't a failure on your part. It, you just needed to shift and make it good again. Yeah. I think that's something that we're all learning in this time of a pandemic is, is that shift. You know, we have to pay attention to the rhythms of our life and what's going on around us and who's really here with us and who isn't. And, you know, a lot of organizations, I know even the table is going through reorganizing and rebranding yeah. and just as I am. Um, so it, it's, it's yeah. an interesting thing to even think about that as our healing journey continues that we have to even pay attention and, um, and even with the community that we're choosing to walk out the next part of our journey, it might be a time of rebranding, reorganizing, rethinking how we're, how we're doing this and whether it's working for us or not. That's a really good, that's a really good word, Shell. Thank you for that. I really love what you've shared just about your story and healing in general. And, and I think it'd be really important for people to know where to find you, Shell. I think um, knowing how they can support the table or, or even um, kind of come alongside you with that would be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us on the web at um, thetablegatherings.com. Um, and I would love for you to email me. It's shellkistler at thetablegatherings.com. And then we're also on Instagram and um, Facebook if you want to find us. And that's just at thetablegatherings. Great. And you also have a podcast, which you invited me on. So if you want to hear us talk again in a little bit different format in a few weeks, where could they find your podcast? Yes. Our podcast is called Table Talk, the podcast. Great. And so it's on all the platforms. You can just the at sign at Table Talk, the podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Shell. We really love you and appreciate you and just are standing with you as you continue on and all that God's calling you to do. Thank you. It's been so nice being here with you today. This is it's been it's been good for my soul oh good <laughs> same here all right take care thanks
Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.